Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 23 for Monday, January 21st, 2019. My name is Johnny, but you might know me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi Joel, how are you? I am doing fantastic, my friend. Uh, it is one of those Mondays where I just feel super productive, mm -hmm. and even though I overslept, <laughs> I just, I, I, I like on Mondays that I have a very set regimen of things to do. I don't, I'm not stuck making big decisions about like, what should I do today? It's like mm -hmm. spawn chunks and then some YouTube stuff. And then, you know, there's some social media things like it just, it all just kind of like steamrolls after we launch the spawn chunks in the morning. Like that's kind of like the, 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 the little snowball that kind of pushes off the mountain in the <laughs> morning. And then it just kind of goes from there. Starting your day with a coffee, some breakfast and the spawn chunks. Yep. Good times. So have you been uh, getting on in Minecraft this week? Have you been up to much? So I had big plans to do more streaming uh, and more playing. And I did get a small session in yesterday and it was a lot of fun. Uh, more stuff on the path, uh, which I was asking people in my chat because I, I was a little bit concerned because not only is this now like the second stream in a row where I've been building a path going through the South Meadows, but it's also a video where I was redoing a path that I did last week. <laughs> <laughs> You're like uh, this path again, why? Yeah, so I, I put in some extra play time the week before and just because I wanted to play without any kind of like, I just wanted to play and not worry about stuff like streaming or videos or whatever and uh, really think and get some stuff done. And what I did was I went and um, made a much more interesting path beyond the one that I did on stream. And when I did that, I went back to look at the one that I did on stream. I was like, wow, this is really straight and boring, even though I thought it was kind of curvy and cool. Mm -hmm. So I, I just thought, okay, let's just spice this up. Let's take this in a couple of different directions. And so that's what I did on stream. Had a lot of uh, help from Alistair. And I have to say that uh, big projects like this, when you've got some grind work to do, my gosh, does it go fast when you've got two people? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like I did all the planning with just path block, but I... We've already done a lot of path block stuff in the meadows, and I didn't want to continue that. I wanted to switch to like a dirt path, but, you know, textured up with like, you know, gravel and dirt and stuff like that. But to get things in, in the base, it was all just coarse dirt. So I laid it out and kind of drew it with path block and then replaced it all with coarse dirt. And Alistair helped me out with that. And man, we, the whole thing, we, I fixed the path, I redid it, I made it look good and took the whole thing from start to finish and turned it into coarse dirt and... I couldn't be happier with it right now. We also took the time to, um, with the help of my uh, my Twitch chat, and I'm going to give a shout out to Paranor here because he had a fantastic idea. Uh, I was trying to come up with like a brown block palette. And I knew that I wanted to do coarse dirt as the main, maybe throw in some concrete powder, like brown concrete powder. And I was toying around with like spruce wood and stripped spruce wood and everything was too red. Like the brown, the coarse dirt and, and the um, brown uh concrete powder they're they're warm but they're not like a red warm yeah yeah and so when you started putting in the spruce wood the new spruce wood because i'm basing everything off of like the beta textures is it's not it's not as it doesn't match it's not the same color balance and so i was looking for a lighter block and paranoid's like well what about brown mushroom and i thought oh hey yeah. i haven't looked at that in a long time That's i use it one. at the yeah i use it at the bottom of riverbeds because it looks like silt like it looks like a nice silt color yeah uh goes good as kind of like a color shift from the clay block and of course the brown mushroom block has been retextured with with um with 3.3 the beta mm -hmm. textures and so i toss that in there and it's a perfect color temperature for the the, the highlight block it's not going to be everywhere which is good because it's not an easy block to get yeah um but so I've, i'm using that and i decided to try stripped spruce and that actually works it's one of the few places that i've been able to use the the default greenish stripped spruce look yeah uh and it just it just sort of works podzel was too it was too contrasty like it just stood out too much yeah too much texture in that one a little bit i think yeah, yeah. so so the stripped um spruce logs which are good because i can they're directional so if you if you want to change it if you have two of them next to one another you can actually just change the directions of the texture and it works out much better mm-hmm um, so I haven't actually tried the end. I don't know what the end cap would look like. Uh, I didn't try that. I was looking mostly at the strip side, but so I've got that, that texture thing all done. So I, I probably won't do that on like, as part of a, a YouTube episode or something like that. Like that's something I do on stream and then edit out because texturing that whole thing is that's like a couple hours of 
going f- i mean it's a, it's a couple hundred blocks easily uh yeah. so going over that and, and texturing that it's going to be fun it's going to look great in the end but i'm just happy to have a plan like i'm no longer <laughs> logging in and like it's it's nice to not be constantly thinking about like where a block is being placed and and how to make a curve or make a staircase or what direction and how you're revealing the view it's once you get to the texturing part it's just like all right i don't have to think about anything i just have to just make sure i'm not placing two blocks next to each other that are the same and then just go and and it should be should be good but i have a question out of that uh because i remember uh one of the things that i remember about learning like textures and stuff was watching you do a jungle path i think in dv season four yeah so when you're texturing stuff and you've got like your inventory is full of stuff to, to use for the texture blocks do you have any tips for having that go quickly like how do you how do you go about texturing a path when the path's already drawn it's already there you just have and you've got your block selected like what's the the process uh i think generally speaking i'll go through and take out a bunch of blocks first before i go back through and put them all back in because switching between Ah. the shovel and the blocks is what's going to take the most amount of time if you're taking out two blocks and then you switch to the blocks to fill them back in i feel like that's a slower process than just going through and taking out okay i need this one to go there that one to go there that one to go there and you just dig all of the holes before you place the blocks back in i feel like it goes faster that way Ah, good call. Because what I end up doing, and I was doing a little bit of this um, yesterday on stream, is not even using the shovel, just using the block to punch the block out and then Mm -hmm. replace it. So having like two different kinds of blocks in your hands and just punching stuff out and then just left or right clicking, depending on which block you want to place. But it takes a long time, of course, because that's much slower than using a shovel to to dig stuff out yeah so dig out all the holes first or at least in a section that's okay yeah the other t- tip i have when it comes to texturing stuff like that is to avoid checkerboarding ironically uh think about how a knight moves in chess because knights always move they move one space forward and one space diagonally is always yeah. how they move and so if you treat the block you're starting on as where the knight starts you can add a texture to that block the block in front of it and a block diagonally from there and that means you get this kind of two and then a block at a diagonal pattern that avoids kind of the checkerboarding thing quite nicely and i use that pattern all the time but you can't notice it so much in the materials because it's kind of it, it camouflages it more than just having like alternating blocks of different kinds to make it look a little bit less like a chessboard yeah, no, I, it's something that I did with the the Inn on a Bridge. I was using that pattern with uh, smooth stone and stone bricks. And the smooth stone was meant to be like uh, wagon tracks, like being worn down. Yeah. And so every two blocks, like the rule was no more than two blocks together, you yeah. know, and then I would have to switch it a diagonal and then switch back. So mm-hmm. it kind of, it loosely gave the idea of like a wet, you know, rough wagony yeah. tracks, stuff like that. So yeah, cool. No, I'll, I'll take that into into account these are all really good uh you know questions for big builds and the those are the kind of questions that you might want to ask us for next week because we are coming up on our first round table yes it's gonna be episode 24 very excited and for this yes me too uh i've been chatting with our guests a little bit off um off podcast and you of course know him uh Fwip is going to be our guest next week and so we're really looking forward to talking with him uh he uh suggested one of his topics would be bringing builds to life with little details so that's something that he wants to talk about i think that johnny and i will probably have some you know large world or big world questions about like big survival builds things like that things that kind of cater to uh Fwip's experience uh, but if you have questions for Fwip that you'd like us to try to fit into the round table then send us an email at thespawnchunks at gmail.com by friday january 25th why so early well because of time zones and work schedules we're going to be talking to flip on the weekend not on monday so uh we need some time to get those emails in uh read over them choose the ones we want to uh, use on the show and also give flip a heads up as to you know which emails are in the show notes so if you got questions for Fwip, let us know. Uh, we're excited to do this roundtable thing. It is our first one, so I mean, it's going to be a little bit of shooting from the hip. We've got a plan, but it, it might be uh, a little bit different than the the show that you're used to. But uh, we've had 20 or so episodes to hone the main spawn chunks 
uh, podcast. <laughs> it's into, like a well-oiled into, machine at this point. Yeah, into what it's become. And it's the kind of great thing about podcasting, as with Minecraft. You know, you kind of like start somewhere and as you kind of find out what you like, find out what fits the groove, you kind of lean into that. So this being our first roundtable, it'll probably take three or four of those uh, each, you know, between now and say April or May before we really get a good groove for how they're going to go. Yeah, but, um, if, if, but in I'm the meantime, excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. In the, in the meantime, if folks at home haven't heard of FWIP, then uh, you've been under a rock this entire time, I imagine, because he is <laughs> he's a he's a fantastic builder. He's got a series called Building with FWIP. He's also on the Decidedly Vanilla server, which I frequent. And uh, yeah, he's got a great channel. His channel is growing really fast right now. He had a video about castle design recently that has kind of blown up. And he is definitely one to follow if you're into terraforming, into building big landscaping, and just the general kind of uh, survival world gameplay kind of stuff, but taking it to the next level, taking it to, you know, making a cohesive picture of like a village with landscape in the background and stuff like that he's definitely been brought up on this show a number of times in the past so yeah very excited to have him on the show and talk about his minecraft philosophy yeah absolutely and uh, we've also had some people uh, suggest guests for future roundtables so if uh, if you don't have a question for whip but you have an idea for someone that you'd like to see on the roundtable uh, I'm hoping we already have our guest for February, but we can look ahead to March and April mm-hmm. and um, just kind of think about the different kinds of guests. We want to kind of keep it, you know, switching back and forth yeah. um, and, and see what we can come up with there. Uh, but yeah, I think that's that's about it for me. What have you been doing in, in Minecraft this week? Well, inspired in part by your discussions last week about building this path and how people tend to kind of populate a path with builds once it's in place, I actually started planning out a town in the survival guide world this week. And I kind of wish that I'd called back to the podcast and directed people to it because a few people might, a few more people <laughs> might show up as a result. But uh, yeah, like I was kind of thinking about what you were saying and I, I brought up a similar point in the video of saying, once you've got the paths in place then the buildings sort of almost take care of themselves in a way like it it becomes more obvious what you want to do with a certain space because it's a specific size or you know you've got a certain shape that you think oh this would fit really nicely here so i've planned out i I got the the bird's eye view kind of cinematic uh camera account facing down towards this giant plains that i'm building the city in and the episode was all about planning out a town and I I just got a diamond shovel made path blocks the entire time and built these kind of winding pathways around this central ravine that I've got in the town it's probably going to be the biggest project I've actually done because a lot of the time when I build large stuff it tends to be either quite isolated like the jungle temple in dv season four which was very much just plonked down in the center of the jungle without much of a cohesive city around it and then the other stuff I built I've started cities but I guess I burn out on various things. I get distracted by other projects. So this is going to be an ongoing city project and it's probably the most organized I've ever been about a town. I think putting the paths in was a really good start. It's given me an idea of the shape of the area a lot more than it otherwise would. So thank you for the inspiration for that, Joel. Because that's Hey, uh, no problem. I've I've watched those videos too, by the way, and uh it's I love the feeling of scale that you get immediately when you look at paths over a large area like yeah because you did a lot when i saw the thumbnail i was like oh wow that's a that's a pretty big area but then of course you did a lot more than that in the video yeah and when the final shot from the air in the video i was like oh wow okay like this is gonna be big yeah in a good way like not not i'm not not saying that that you know not suggesting anything other than this is just gonna be a lot of really great content but uh what i like about the path is that Minecraft blocks are a meter by a meter in the game. It's very hard to wrap your head around that. That's a big, that's a big chunk of anything. Yeah. Like that's not a small thing. I'm only two meters tall. Right. <laughs> so like it's that, that's, that, that's half my height. Like th- these are not things that you could pick up. Right. Like that's, I think the, the thing, uh, but when you put down, you know, a, a path that's two or three meters wide, people can just kind of like mesh because they know how wide a sidewalk is in real life. They know how big a road is in real life for the most part. You know, the average two-lane, you know, city street. Yeah. And and so it immediately brings you a sense of scale. Yeah, right? it gives you like a perspective of, on things, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what I like about about building the the roads first. Now, I've got a question. Did you build the roads just out of pure like I want to have a section of housing here, so I'm going to build a road around it. Or were the roads built where you found that you were constantly running when you were moving around that area? 
it's not so much that I was running, more like the terrain lent itself to certain patterns because there's a lot of kind of slow, shallow curved hills around that area. It's a plains biome, so it's quite sort of natural ups and downs. That right. led to certain paths going certain ways. There were certain landmarks on that plains biome, the ravine. There was a kind of like cave system that breaches the surface quite close by at the northern part of the map that I kind of wanted to connect yep. up with the path. Mm -hmm. And then the swamp on the top right, as we're looking at it from this, you know, top down view. Yeah, so, from, your, from your video, yeah. So, so yeah, it was kind of, it was more like the paths that I would take to get to those specific areas. So yeah, maybe like if, if I was sprinting towards it in a direction, this is the route I would take, I imagine. But I was doing that maybe more subconsciously. What I was trying to do was work with the terrain, follow the natural curves of the environment, and then build walls to kind of turn the hills into like retaining walls where the, right. the, the grass comes all the way up to the... Uh, up to yeah. the front there but yeah it's yeah. it's also it's a bit of both i suppose i was also planning out like this is a section where smaller and run down houses are going to be where it kind of leads out into the swamp so i'm making the paths between them a little bit more winding and a little bit like in enclosing these smaller areas where i'm just going to build little shacks and stuff like that nice very cool not necessarily roads that you would walk down but roads that you would be able to look down peripherally and yeah like, like oh there's there's an alley and alleyways and stuff path. like that yeah, yeah absolutely cool. yeah and one of the uh, uh, the thing the things I've been kind of holding back on with this town though are I can imagine a lot of the new blocks from one point fourteen fitting in really well right? here, and this is something I really yeah. wanted to bring up on the show before we get too much further because you mm. you mentioned this a little bit when we were chatting before the show started about holding off on certain projects because you know something is coming and you're like oh that would be perfect there like i i'm making this city a kind of medieval but industrial kind of theme so the, these people are mining out this ravine for whatever material it's got in it and there's a lot of the kind of more sooty palette of blocks i'm using kind of black and gray wool and i'm using a lot of different stone types and uh the cyan terracotta and stuff like that and i think the industrial looking like the blast furnaces and the barrels and like all of those blocks that are coming in in 1.14 are going to look really great in this town. So I'm almost holding off on building too much there until I've got access to those blocks. Have you found yourself doing the same thing? Yes. Uh, I would love to build a castle. I've been seeing a lot of concept art in my, in my adventures and my kind of chill time after I'm done work and a lot of castles. And I just think, man, that'd be fun to build in Minecraft and yeah. man, that'd be fun to build in Minecraft. And mm -hmm. I think, yeah, and it would be fun to have slabs and stairs and walls in andesite granite diorite <laughs> yeah, yeah. stone. I even did a little, like I did a little um, connecting thing. I was kind of polishing up all the the sort of unfinished connections in the South Meadows the other day. And we added a, a dirt slab um, to the server. It's a data pack uh, that um, allows you to craft the petrified oak slab, which is, is in the game, but you can't craft it in survival. So I added a recipe for that and then retextured it to be coarse dirt. So we have a dirt slab. So mm -hmm. when you have like a rough path, you can have some stairs and not have to jump up and down, which brings me to something else I want to talk to you about, about paths. But the um, the the bridge that connects uh, to one of the villages had, it was just, it was not, it wasn't ugly. It was just unfinished. It was one of these things where just, it was very kind of like plunked on the side of something. So I made this overhang of this cliff that, that was kind of like, looks like it was like carved out to allow people to walk by it. And I did the whole time I was building it. I was like, man, I wish I had slabs. Like I wish I had <laughs> smooth stone slabs, not smooth stone, stone slabs. And I wish I had andesite slabs yeah. because this would look so much better uh than what i'm doing and it just i'm in a lot of ways even with other blocks like the the new crafting blocks uh because i've got some industrial ideas but like the bottom of i think it's a smithing table is just such a cool ceiling for industrial places and yeah even the top of it like so all of that kind of stuff i'm just holding off it's like well why am i going to start any big new building building projects that don't fit the current style of the metals because anything that I've got current style, I've probably got the block palette to do it. Yeah. But I'm starting to feel the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The restraint, the, um, the block shyness of, <laughs> of the upcoming snapshot. I'm yeah. not sure what you want to call that. That, that, not just, burnout. that, I'm not that feeling out. that you're, you're holding back because you think yeah. something is coming that I can really leverage in whatever it is you're trying to build next. Well, as, my, as I just did this path twice. I hate building things twice. I don't want to build something that I'm really happy with and then have 
1.14 drop and go, ah, oh, this would have looked so much better if it was granite, you know, and yeah. then just like I have to redo it. It's like, nope, I have no desire <laughs> to, yeah. to get into that noise. So, uh, so yeah, I, I feel your pain on, on that. It's, it's hard at the moment to tackle anything larger that isn't just technical where like it doesn't really matter, you know, what it's going to be. Although I have to say like, even I imagine technical players are also champing at the bit for some of the new, new things coming out. Yeah, and speaking of that, shall we get to this week's news? Because there have been snapshots, and they've got some really interesting new stuff in them. Absolutely. Uh, so this past week was snapshot 13W03A, B, and C. Uh, for the lack of you know details, B and C were mostly just bug fixes, uh, changes to, to A that came out. Uh, but we got a new block, which... We had no idea it was coming. <laughs> Again, uh, another surprise yeah, block. Another surprise block. And uh, it is the, the the compost block or the composter block. And uh, there's new sounds that have been added to the game. Uh, there are barrel sounds, grindstone, sweet berry bush sounds, uh, placement for uh, and breaking sounds for crops and nether wart, as well as sounds for black furnace and, uh, sorry, blast furnace and smokers. Uh, changing the campfire model and texture that we saw Jappa tweet out last Friday, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also changed the campfire light level, which they didn't advertise, uh, which I was surprised about. Yeah, uh, we're going to get to a bit of discussion about those in a minute because I have a lot to say specifically about the composter, and I imagine you do as well. Um, mm -hmm. But one thing I wanted to touch on before that is that the final update has been released for the Nintendo 3DS version of Minecraft. Now, we saw them kind of sunsetting the other legacy console versions, getting their final update for Xbox 360, PS3, that kind of stuff, where the technology just isn't able to keep up with the amount of new updates they want to release. And with so many of the newer platforms being on Bedrock, it kind of doesn't make sense for them to keep developing for older consoles that are going to have fewer and fewer players. So basically, the Nintendo 3DS version has now caught up to some features from 1.12 and even earlier. It's now got woodland mansions, concrete, the mending enchantment, llamas, stuff like that. There is a changelog on the Minecraft.net website, which has all of the newest features coming to the 3DS. I don't think anybody in our community specifically has mentioned that they play on 3DS and not any other platform. So it'd be interesting to hear if anybody has found this podcast and is interested in 3DS news, but I figured it was worth touching on. And I expect, you know, in a community this large, people might still be playing with the 3DS as their handheld of choice, either because they don't have the money to buy a newer console or because for whatever reason they really love the 3DS. But I think with the Switch kind of taking over the Nintendo's kind of favorite handheld position, uh, it makes sense that we're seeing the end of the 3DS version at that point. So I hope for folks who are listening who have been playing on 3DS, it's had a good run for you and you're looking forward to other updates on other platforms. Yeah, the the only thing that I can take away from this, having very little experience with with Bedrock and, and other versions of the game, specifically because, you know, I'm, I'm so new to Minecraft in the grand scheme of things, it does have this weird foreshadowing of, of Doom for stuff like the java edition like i'm i hope it doesn't go this way i'd like them to try to support both for the length of minecraft but whether you know depending on how things go if there's ever a minecraft 2 or as you know the technology i think about this in similar to like flash like flash used to be how you made websites yeah. 10 years ago mm -hmm. and it just became inefficient and too resource heavy and a lot of developers uh, specifically i want to say apple just said nope forget it we're not supporting it anymore it's just it's it's not the user experience that we want to have moving forward and so it just falls away like it's just it stops and i saw it trickle through all kinds of industry like flash animation which i used to do for canadian television is not really a thing anymore there's yeah. toon boom and other technologies that are better suited for that kind of thing that have now taken off and replaced you know which is now called adobe animate you know as the main way to make cartoons and again a lot of it is just because a better tool or a more efficient user experience has been developed so it does kind of make me a little bit concerned because when i was looking at the conversations in our discord about bedrock and about the differences and things that are happening with some of our more technical and some of our bedrock you know players I just thought like, man, I don't want to play on Bedrock. <laughs> like, and I, I don't want to sound like an old man saying get off my lawn, but I, I like Java. And I, there's a lot of things in Java that I prefer to even just hearing how things are different in Bedrock. And I don't <laughs> ever want to be forced into like, well, Java is no longer supported because, well, it's resource heavy, which I think it is. 
And like, there's a lot of different things about Chaba that I know are inefficient. And I'm kind of like, I'm hoping that this isn't foreshadowing for, you know, the end of one of the versions. And I, I doubt it would be Bedrock. Like I, if, if you put them up against one another and, and Mo Yang had to choose, mm, I'm betting it would be Bedrock. Yeah, this this kind of discussion always tends to come up whenever a version of Minecraft goes away or whenever, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of update comes out. Like it, it started happening, especially when uh, features would end up getting released on Bedrock instead of on Java. And then they would come to right. Java later, but people would say, hey, wait, how does, why has Bedrock got that first? And we know a little bit more about that now and how they tend to develop yes. features kind of being split between the two development teams for each platform. But they have said in the past that they aren't planning to discontinue Java edition ever and java as a language is still developing like there was a new update to java not too long ago and like it's one of those things where the platform itself is still moving forward and it's always going to be useful for certain things they plan to continue minecraft for as long as possible and when if ever the java edition finally goes away it will be because the bedrock edition is superior objectively as far as i'm concerned and i don't think that's happening in anybody's eyes just yet not going to guarantee that it'll be around forever but i honestly don't think they're planning on getting rid of java for for want of a better term like i I don't i don't think they're they're ever planning to do that at this stage is bedrock it was the development of bedrock like the windows 10 bedrock edition was that purely for consoles like is that why that even exists was Uh, because java can't run on consoles i think so yeah and I, i think it was coded for consoles kind of differently in the first place just because yeah java won't run on consoles but then i think the reason for it to come to windows 10 was the kind of the the microsoft approach to things the kind of you know you want to be able to play anywhere and you want cross-platform compatibility so you want somebody on windows to be able to play the same stuff that they could on the xbox and then it's just a matter of do you want it in your living room or do you want it at Mm -hmm. a desk and yeah. yeah, I think I think that's probably why Bedrock has had the the emphasis for a little while. It's just been you know the 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 more accessible version, the version that you can get on consoles and then play with people on a Switch or on the PC, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think about the new the new composter? Mm. I I like I like the composter. I'm <laughs> I'm somebody who composts stuff at home anyway so and by the way you're going to hear a lot of difference between the way joel says compost and the way i say compost um and and i'm sure the way everybody online has been saying compost now that they have a reason to bring it up very funny to me and i i knew the difference with with myself with you know north american accents and and british and some european accents i got that what i was not expecting was the difference across north america yeah yeah people are putting the uh, the the uh, an emphasis on the wrong syllable <laughs> in, in <laughs> yeah. some places yes. and yes. i find it very funny sometimes it's a it's a composter sometimes it's a composter sometimes it's a composter and you're yeah. like what yeah it's it's so funny uh but yeah i do as well uh it's there's a city-wide program actually uh and so a lot of people around here compost i it it has reduced my garbage output like tenfold oh yeah yeah it's it's great it's, and now it's, it's and now it's going to reduce your iron farm poppy output as well because you can yeah. you can just have all of the organic stuff just filtering into composters i think i think it's going to be interesting seeing this implemented in people's worlds and where it's going to be implemented because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem quite as efficient as it at first sounds you think oh great i can convert all of this organic stuff that i have left over into bone meal but having done a little bit of experimentation with this the items that you can compost have like a quality associated with them. Like items can fail to compost. Um, So it normally takes, if you're filling it up, say with carrots or potatoes or something that is like a a pure vegetable, um, it takes between seven and 12 vegetables roughly to fill the composter up. Like seven is the minimum. And then that gives you one bone meal. So you're talking seven items for one item back. And as far as bone meal goes, everyone's going, well, I get three bone meal just from killing one skeleton, and that's if I get one bone to drop. I already have a skeleton spawner. Why do we need this? But we will we will get to that. The other items like seeds and flowers sometimes take more. Like when it comes to melon slices, I was watching a video by Il Mango because, of course, I was. <laughs> Anytime mm-hmm. any new mechanic gets added to the game, Il Mango is on it. Um, melons take like about 35 melon slices to fill up a composter. So he was working on an automatic uh, sort of passive bone meal farm that produced about 8,800 bone meal per hour. It required a huge melon farm. I'm talking like two, like like 128 block fields of melons 
in order to make about 8,000 bone meal, which you could probably get from a skeleton spawner in about an hour with one or maybe two skeleton spawners running in tandem. So it almost seems unnecessary, but then you think those skeleton spawners would probably require some kind of player input and looting if you wanted to get more bones. So just having that run in the background is a possibility, and it's good to know that that is kind of possible. Interestingly enough, cake is the only thing that always composts successfully. So if you want to compost a cake, if you have just tons of cake lying around, then like get get cake and, and, and feed that into your composter because that will get you a lot of compost very fast. Something that I find very interesting is that it is a percentage chance that these items will create a layer of compost in the block, not a guarantee. So there's 10, 20, 50, 80, 100, cake and pumpkin pie being the ones that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. And out of all of them, nothing above 50 is is a natural occurring thing uh, outside of mushroom blocks. But again, those aren't, you can't farm them automatically. Yeah. So cake and pumpkin pie, you have to craft. Hay bale, cookie, bread, baked potato, you have to craft. Uh, baked potato, sorry, lie. Baked potato is something you could automate. Um, but that's the only thing in the top, in the 80% that could be villager farmed, sent to a smelter, sent out as a baked potato, and then put into compost, which is, I mean, cool <laughs> a lot yeah. of work for bone meal and you've also got to you're fuel gonna... the smelter and there's there's like a whole lot of other steps that have to go into that yeah. before you're getting yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, a reasonable amount of bone meal yeah there's also other things like say um in the 50 percent range there are a lot of things that are a, a lot easier i think to farm than say pumpkins and and melons like you've got wheat mm -hmm. and you've got carrots and you've got beetroot so finally, a use for beetroot because there's nothing else you can do with it. <laughs> yes, and finally, uh, a use red for dye. All, finally, a use for all those wheat seeds that we've all been gathering yeah. since we built a well, large enough wheat farm. And that's the thing. So with a wheat farm, you wouldn't have to filter out the wheat and the wheat seeds if that wheat farm is is using you know compost because wheat and seeds could just go straight in. Like you mm -hmm. just you funnel them all into the same system. So that increases your fifty percent chance up to possibly you know sixty percent, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what the math would be on that, but you know, more chances than not. A lot of the stuff, yes, it doesn't yield a lot of bone meal, but these are the kind of things that you'd want to set it and forget it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't see it here on the wiki, but I'm pretty sure I saw that poppies were something like all the flowers were things that you could you could use into compost, but they're down in that 10% range of of stuff that's just um yeah 90 percent of the time it's not going to fill it up any further yeah but that's the thing like i've got a two double chests full of poppies from our iron farm and they've been full for months yeah so the extra poppies are being shot into a cactus uh, underneath the <laughs> iron farm so in early game like if you have the, if you built an iron farm and you don't have a mob farm or you are playing on passive uh then having um enough bone meal to make bone like a lot of bone blocks like you could without having to really monitor it you could have an iron farm in your spawn chunks just constantly pumping out you know poppies and iron and and have enough stuff to really create you know when it comes time to make that wheat field you're going to be able to use bone meal you're going to have some you know at the very least yeah uh, and for now uh well i guess this all changes I guess this all changes in 1.14. Is bone meal still used to make dye? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. you, in 1.14, you craft it into dye. I think you put it in your crafting interface and it turns into white dye. So that is going right. to be a, okay. an extra step that requires player input. Right. But then you still have white dye for white concrete, white yeah. glass, and those kind of things, terracotta. So, okay. So that, well, that, that helps. Like, so you've got, there's more uses for bone meal than, than just, you know, harvesting crops and things like that. Absolutely. Um, and there are more yeah. uses of the composter than that as well, because a few people in the redstone community have been looking into this and it's one of the only blocks in Java edition as of right now that can have stuff input into it via hoppers can output a variable comparator signal, by which we mean the different stages of fullness of the composter, like give off a different redstone signal when a comparator is measuring its fullness. Um, and it's the only one that can have that and also be moved by a piston. So like, if you imagine like you're measuring a chest with a comparator, great, but in Java edition, at least, it can't be moved by a piston. I think they mm. have that in Bedrock and maybe have for a while, and it's supposed to be coming to Java at some point, but it might be kind of difficult to code, or they might be keeping it out of the sake of A, tradition, and B, it's 
you know, a, an enforced restriction on what you can do with those things. When it comes to composters, if you've got things filling up at a certain level and a piston pushing them over and then that changes a comparator signal somewhere, you can really integrate that into redstone contraptions quite well. The previous thing I've seen people do this with is cauldrons. You have a comparator output measuring a cauldron and that can be pushed and right. pulled in front of a comparator. But that only has four different states, whether it's got like, you know, a full cauldron, one that you've had one water bottle taken out of it, you've had two water bottles taken out of it, and then it's empty compared to a composter's eight for a start. And cauldrons can't be filled or emptied using hoppers because you can't collect or, you know, put in water that way. Yeah. So composters suddenly have this interesting redstone functionality, redstone interaction that nobody really expected them to have. So it's been really interesting seeing people put that to use. Yeah, I watched a couple of uh, Hermitcraft-related videos, both Mumbo and Cubfan. I mean, when you get into redstone and stuff like that, you kind of go to the the people that you you watch that are your your, your technical go-tos. And yeah. Cubfan had some really cool ideas with you know moving the composter, taking signals off of it, but then you can empty it automatically if you move it over a hopper. It just woof, it just gets completely emptied in one go, uh, and and then that resets. So if you have like a game where you know, you're shooting an arrow at a target and if you get to seven, then you win and the counter resets, then this will actually do it. Like it'll count up to seven or eight, depending on how you do your redstone. And and then when it gets to the end, then you just have that redstone signal, push that piston, it empties the, the composter and then it resets it. The only thing you need is like a double chest of stuff above it. Uh, to then refill it, you know, one at a time as as the as it moves along. I, I thought it was really, really cool. I love the fact that so many of these new blocks have different comparator outputs. Like you've got the lectern has got, you know, a signal. You've got the composter now. Uh, I'm trying to think about, I don't think anything, like I don't think the new crafting blocks, like the cartography table and things like that, they, they seem to be more of a, of a crafting interface than, yeah stuff say, like, like a storage one, thing one of my first questions about the loom when they introduced it because we didn't know about all of these other things yet i was like does the loom have any kind of redstone output like if you put a banner in there but the loom doesn't like let mm. you leave anything in its interface but uh yeah no right. the like i imagine blast furnaces and barrels and stuff like that will act much the same as current furnaces and chests do where you can just measure the amount of items that are in there at any time but yeah, yeah having having stuff that's got more of an interesting functionality in red and more of a an interesting kind of use in redstone stuff is going to be yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun it's also very cool looking uh i like the texture it's uh very similar to wood planks but there's four instead of three and i want to say i haven't looked at it next to a bunch of stuff but i want to say it's closer to a spruce texture in terms of color yeah i've seen people use it for beehives in trees already just kind of oh, putting, nice. it, putting yeah. it up in, in, into one of the large kind of oak trees. And I think they even had like, they, they'd use the debug stick or something like that, or, or maybe attach them to invisible blocks, but they added buttons around, just kind of attached to whatever invisible blocks were there, or yeah, kind of manipulated to be hanging in the air as if invisible, to look like bees kind of swarming out of it. And I thought that was a fantastic yeah. idea, not accomplishable in survival, sadly, but very cool nonetheless. Yeah, no, I like the look of it. Uh I like that the new campfire also has a full light level, which just makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah it, they didn't <laughs> even mention this in the notes. So I feel like the the campfire having a light level of nine was maybe a bug. It may have been. Yeah. Or, and they or maybe, just fixed it. They didn't want to like draw too much attention to that one, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. But it yeah. does. It but does it makes really. Sense. It, yeah. It, it makes total sense. Like we were saying last time, it's it doesn't make sense that a, a campfire doesn't output as much light as a torch does. And I appreciate mm. like the ambience of it could be a factor. But when you're out there in the dark and you want to use the campfire to ward off mobs in the first place, then it kind of makes more sense for it to be functionally able to do that. Sure. Uh, I think, too, that. Uh, I did pay attention to the sound updates. Uh, I don't have a big opinion on them. I think they're all good with the exception of the sweet berry bush. It's weird. It's very yeah. crunchy. You, you kind of place them down and it makes a kind of noise. And yeah, yeah it, it, it feels a little, a little strange. Less like you're planting stuff. Like I, I imagine they probably just didn't want to use the same block breaking sound that they use for like when you pick up crops. It makes the sound of like a dirt block breaking and mm -hmm. they were kind of like, well, there's an opportunity to add something new in here because these are new features. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It it just feels it feels almost a little bit tinny to me. I feel like it doesn't have like a deep enough like I'm I'm putting roots into the ground with this kind yeah. of noise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think the crop noise would be like the the new crop noise, which is fine. Like it's 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 different than it is before, but it's it's not 
it's not something that you know makes or breaks the experience uh, but i think using that for the bushes would be better moving on into chunk mail we have a message from dan aka gearhead 4077 and he says hello i was listening to your latest episode episode 22 where you were talking about the redstone capabilities of the new lectern I'm very excited to see new creations that people can make with it. My first thought was to use the lectern in a train station. That was my first thought too, Dan. Great minds <laughs> think alike. Turn the book uh, to page three and some redstone magic happens, quote unquote, and you can get a rail car heading straight to station three. I would love to see something like that, but I don't have the redstone knowledge to do it myself. Love the show and keep it up. Uh, well, I've already mentioned Cubfan uh, earlier uh, in a little bit of a, a lectern comment, uh, but there's a I'll have a link in the show notes to um, some of the first look that um, Cubfan had at the lectern, and he had a line of like 15 uh, redstone lamps lined up just to kind of demonstrate how quickly you can turn the page in the book and move that redstone signal from one, two, three, four, five all the way up to to full. I mm -hmm. love that it does the full the full change. And I think what I like so much about the lectern in terms of its um, page number to redstone output is that you can, if you want, have it be even. The challenge that I find with comparators is that they are using a percentage of fullness to create a redstone output of 1 to 15. So a hopper only has five slots. A chest has got 21. I think no 27 so 27 yeah so the number of items that you put in a hopper is different for the number of items that you put in a chest if you want a signal of five to come out of both of them yeah uh with a book however you can just make a 15 page book and then it's just as simple as page one through 15 so four signal strength one through 15. i think that's brilliant now if your page if your book is only three pages long well that's going to be a little bit different Mm -hmm. But it gives it gives the ability for the player to reduce the complexity of the redstone uh, controls to something that that is very, very accessible. And I love the idea of having one lectern that allows you to choose a train station, you know, a, a track that's going to switch. So I think you guys had something very similar on DV season four, but it wasn't a lectern. What were you guys using for control? Do you remember? Uh, it was just a series of buttons attached to pillars that were all signposted. And so, right. you'd, okay. um, I mean, KB built the entire thing, so I have no idea how it worked, but you yeah. essentially just enabled whichever track you wanted to go to, and then you got in the minecart. Once you went over a certain part of the minecart track, the whole system reset itself, or you could hit a reset button right. if you put in the yeah. wrong one. So, right. yeah, with, with Electin, I can imagine that being much simpler in terms of the interface you don't have to walk all the way down a platform to find out where you want to go you can just flip through the book and go okay iron farm and then you just go straight there that's fantastic i i like the the idea that you can make that effectively like a text interface with a redstone thing without it having to be overcomplicated in like a series of buttons with signs over them or item frames or anything like that oh man yeah the first line on your book page could be iron farm and then the paragraph underneath that with the new editing capabilities of text in minecraft could be a description of the iron farm and what else might also be there so if you can flip through the book real quick and just be like you know iron farm you know uh, sheep farm uh you know mesa and just kind of if you know what you're looking for then you don't have to worry about it but if you're not sure you could slowly go through and be like oh, is the mesa's where the bone farm is i can't remember and so all the things that we have signs up that ruin my bills yeah. <laughs> describing <laughs> about where to go in the nether for new players i would love to just have a lectern that's just kind of part of the build or set aside where you could just kind of like look at it realize yes i'm going to go this way uh, and because the lectern is universal, so if you go through and turn to page three and go to the iron farm and that light is lit up, when I arrive at the station, it's going to be already set to iron farm. All I have to do is move that book page to the right book page and then go in the direction that I want. No need to reset, right? Mm -hmm. Very, yeah. very cool. And there's there's a bunch of different applications for it. I mean, I think Mumbo's already made a video about using a lectern as a shop kind of catalog almost. So you turn it to the page you want. It says, you know, andesite blocks, and then you hit a button next to it, and it orders you some items from the system. If you've got like storage systems and minecarts and stuff linked up to it, you could easily just switch to like, okay, this is the item I want to recall from whatever system you're using. And it just kind of pops out in a shulker box or in a chest or something like that. There's there's so many different uses for it. My thought was 
maybe you could have it as like the floor selector in an elevator design oh, cool. and you just have a lectern standing there you turn to like i want to go to floor three you just turn to page three the elevator goes ping and sends you up and <laughs> you, the you most could, you complicated could have, elevator button ever <laughs> well, yeah exactly but you know you could, you could you could have stuff like that to select stuff and and not have 15 buttons for all 15 floors you know oh, so there's this there's so many uses it could have in survival worlds, and I really can't wait to see what more of the Redstone community does with it because it's going to be a, it's going to open up a vast amount of stuff you can do. Yeah. I'm sure. I think previously the closest thing you can get for ease of use would be spinning an item in an item frame, which would give yeah. you seven or eight different signals. Mm -hmm. And in that video, I watched that Mumbo video, and that is mind blowing because he uses this combination of yes or no is there a book in the item frame so he's got six i think different item frames or four different item frames with books in them and when you take that book out of the item frame it tells the system to only look at like floor storage floor four right yeah yeah and then within that floor he's got 15 different items so your bulk storage now is like you could really categorize things like all of your stone if there's 15 or less than 15 different items of stone things that you want to store in your system you could have them all put away and you could just recall you know a stack of everything by going to a book page and and ordering stuff i mean is it faster than than going around to to you know a big room full of chests maybe not is it cooler uh yes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right? it is yeah uh, but yeah like that is just i mean he was making a store but even just as a storage system like that would that would be so so cool I, i'm i'm really curious to see where where it goes in, in the redstone community for sure definitely definitely so on to this week's discussion topic which I brought it to the table this week because I just raided a woodland mansion for what's going to be tomorrow's episode of the Minecraft Survival Guide. And I was curious about your experience with woodland mansions because they're not necessarily something every player comes across. Have you actually been out to one of them? Uh, I have. I've kind of looked at the front of it and maybe stuck my nose in the main hall. Uh, Mattcast on our server decided that it was going to be his mission to go and find one. Uh -huh. And because uh, he had found a map to one early on, and we yeah. had been waiting for 1.13 to drop because it was, I mean, it was potentially really far away. And it is, it's something like 6,000 or 7,000 blocks. Yeah. You yeah. Know, as the crow flies. Uh, and it took him a long time to find it. And uh, him and Alistair had started the raid and it didn't go very well. So he, he's been itching to get everybody together as, as an idea for a server event is to go and raid this Woodland Mansion. And I have been really disinterested in it because yeah, I, yeah. I've seen it done on videos. It doesn't to me seem worth the walk or the fight for the stuff that you get. Like, it's not like this thing is made of blocks that you can't get. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it's it, all dark oak wood and birch yeah, and carpets. It, and it's, it's made out of very basic blocks, much the same way as you find the other generated structures like villager houses and things like yeah. that. They're all pretty straightforward. Yeah. So not to sound, I don't want to sound like a negative Nancy on this, but like I, re I really <laughs> have no, no real desire to go and do that for those reasons. Yeah, uh, I can see maybe if one was nearby early game, but I feel like also they're not they're never nearby. So in early game, like walking 6000 blocks before you even get to the nether, like, nope, sorry, yeah. not not yeah. not really in my in my um, to do list. However, I have been watching a lot of um, we'll say end game content online, and I really enjoy the idea of moving mobs around things like ghasts or evokers and some of the cool mobs that you can find in uh in woodland mansion so if we do decide to raid the woodland mansion my caveat to the crew would be okay let's not kill everybody let's try to trap them so that if we wanted to move them later because six thousand blocks on the overworld is not that far in the nether like i i could yeah. potentially you know with an iron farm and the tracks even the tracks I already have we could potentially move move somebody to a, a, an area pretty easy i like the idea of having an evoker turret you know in my base uh, <laughs> or or just kind of messing with them in that in that way i think that could be kind of fun um even if i can't use see the evoker just having their i can't remember what their attack is called the thing where the chain comes out of the ground and the spikes yeah um, they're called fangs they're kind of more fangs, like kind of yeah. alligator mouths that come out yeah yeah so like that kind of stuff is really cool and if you can't see the evoker but you can see that come out of the ground that would be kind of a cool environment kind of immersion thing yeah uh, definitely to, to add uh to the thing i have no desire to fight vexes i they, that doesn't <laughs> seem like a fun idea at all um, yeah not so much but yeah outside of that i haven't had any real interest in it because to me 
the other early game experience of finding a nether fortress is cooler and more fun and more rewarding than a uh a woodland mansion especially because nether fortresses are usually easier to find yeah and they're also kind of required for gameplay progression as well because if you want to get to the end and fight the dragon you need blaze powder for the eyes of ender right and that's something you can only get in a nether fortress blazes don't spawn anywhere else whereas there isn't really much in the way of progression for like an incentive to raid a woodland mansion which is probably a good thing given how far away they typically spawn from your java edition world spawn point i've seen screenshots i think from bedrock unless maybe there's a java seed or two that does this where people have spawned and there have been like three woodland mansions really close by because they always seem to spawn in those dark oak forests so some of our listeners who play on other platforms may be much more familiar with woodland mansions than you but uh right yeah it's it's good to know that you at least know what i'm going to be talking about because i i've raided my share of them i've raided probably four or five of them in total i've been to them on the I think the the first update they came in was I think 1.10 or some sometime around then I may be misremembering that it might even be 1.9 but yeah ar- around that time when you know a few other goals were added in for world exploration like end cities and stuff like that woodland mansions came along around the same time and they became much less exciting than going to an end city because at least as far as I was concerned they didn't really have all that much to do in them like you said there's there's not much in the way of loot um previously i'd only experienced a few of the rooms that can spawn in there and one is this room that's full of double chests that never have anything in it's just a storage room and to the average player if you want to take over the woodland mansion you go oh great like i've got built-in storage i don't have to craft any more chests but considering that the time you get to explore to a woodland mansion you've already created a storage system at least you know a rudimentary one at your base It doesn't exactly seem all that inviting. However, this time I found five or six rooms that I'd never even seen before. And there was actual loot in them for a start. There are occasional loot chests dotted around. You just have to get lucky which rooms generate inside these mansions. And so I found, amusingly enough, two diamond hoes in the loot chests. Wow. So it, <laughs> kind of f- further distancing illagers from the player base and, and like their, their villager cousins. They are the type of people who would use their diamonds to make hoes <laughs> which is always a, a black mark as far as the uh, the minecraft community is concerned e- even when i i made a diamond hoe to try and get that advancement for using up a diamond hoe and i i diamond hoed my wheat field in my survival guide i got so many comments from people saying like why would you waste your diamonds on a hoe <laughs> and i'm like guys i've got like two stacks and change of diamonds at this uh, point yeah yeah that's but, how I, um, I have a diamond hoe all the yeah. power to us man yeah, exactly. Diamond Ho crowd for the win. Yeah. Uh, but we we've um we, I also found like golden apples and stuff in there. So there's a little bit of useful loot, which is probably the first time I've actually found useful loot inside one of those mansions. Not only that, but I looked at the Minecraft wiki page for them and there are two rooms that can generate in there that contain blocks of diamond. There is one where the block of diamond is covered in obsidian in the middle of the room and there's another one where it generates like a tank of lava. There's like a 3 by 3 by 3 cube of lava, but the block in the center is a block of diamond so if you remove all of the lava blocks from inside there you get to take away a block of diamond so there is actually stuff like that it just doesn't have a chance to it it doesn't always spawn in a woodland mansion so i've never encountered either of those rooms before which seems to me a bit of a mistake in terms of like you, you think you would give stuff like that priority to reward players for going out that far and braving stepping into the woodland mansion because it's full of stuff that's trying to kill you yeah and and not easy mobs from what i can tell i mean you've got absolutely a vindicator the evoker and the illusioner well no the illusioner is not in there i'm reading the page yes uh, yes exactly and so then I, coming in 1.14 we've got the pillager and the illager beast as well Yes, I wanted to talk about uh, about the Illagers in more detail and Illusioners specifically because they aren't even implemented into the game. <laughs> They've been created along with the other Illagers and either they were deemed too hard or for whatever reason they just thought, no, it's not the right time to implement these. They can only be spawned in the game using commands. You have to use the slash summon command. It doesn't even have a spawn egg in the creative inventory. And reading up on the Wikipedia page for it, they sound like a nightmare. Like yeah. to, to give you a, a quick excerpt from the Wikipedia page, um, they cast blindness on you if the regional difficulty is greater than two, which means, you know, if you've been in the chunks for long enough, if you've fought enough mobs, if you've been there for a couple right. of days and nights, then it, it like raises this kind of local difficulty level. And if they, yeah, if it gets above two, 
they will cast blindness on you so you won't be able to see. If you've already got night vision enabled for any reason, then the blindness effect basically blacks out your entire screen and you can't see anything, <laughs> which is very, very scary. Then they summon duplicates and cast invisibility on themselves. So there are four identical clones of this illusioner walking around. You can't do any damage to them. They can't do any damage to you. But when the illusioner attacks you, which it does with a bow, again, it's a ranged mob, then they all look like they're firing at you as well. So suddenly you've got four things trying to fire at you and an arrow coming from somewhere, but the illusioner is invisible. So you don't know where it is. It's, it's absurd. Like you just... I can understand why they haven't added these in because they sound like an absolute nightmare to fight. It also has a whopping experience drop of five. Yeah, exactly. Like it's really, <laughs> and I think maybe they would, you know, raise that up a little bit. But it's yeah. and it's got it's got a decent amount of health as well. I think it's quite similar to the the other the vindicators and the evokers. Uh, um, evokers at twenty four and health points for the illusioner is thirty two. Exactly. Yeah. So they're like the boss of the woodland mansion that just doesn't exist because it hasn't been you yeah. know implemented into the game. And these are only in Java edition as well. You can't spawn them at all in Bedrock edition. And right. once again, you have to spawn them using commands in Java. So I feel like they are there just as like a final boss to people's adventure maps if they don't feel like coding a more kind of interesting experience for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, as for the other two, the Vindicators are the axe murdery ones. And uh, the fun Easter egg with them, which I think a lot of people already know about, is the fact that you can name tag them Johnny, J-O-H-N-N-Y, which is not how I spell my name. So I'm fine being distanced from these guys. Uh, <laughs> as, of course, as, as a reference to um, Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining, who wasn't actually called Johnny, but the famous here's Johnny line where he's attacking his wife with the, the axe and breaking through the door. They attack anything if you name tag them Johnny, except for other illagers and ghasts, presumably because they can't reach them. But they will go after passive mobs, hostile mobs of any other kinds, and you can use this in fun, interesting ways. I've seen people use it for uh, just for fun, to have them like run around killing hostile mobs for you. I've seen people use it for passive animal farming. So you can just have right. a, a system that kind of feeds cows slowly into a room so you don't run out of your breeding stock of cows, but the Vindicator will just kill them one by one, and that's a, a way of farming beef without having to have player interaction for it. So... You know, obviously getting the Vindicator back to whatever base you happen to have set up is a difficult task to begin with, but it's, yeah, it's kind of fun to include stuff like that in the game and allows a little bit more opportunity for automation than I think people give it credit for. People don't tend to use this all that much because they've got other systems for it. Maybe they've got a looting sword and they prefer to get their, their meat that way, but it's possible to do that. And it's something I plan to cover later on, much later on in the Minecraft survival guide, just because it's something I've never done in survival. And I imagine you probably haven't either if you've not really had that much interest in a woodland mansion. But No, I've moved a lot of villagers around, but I've not moved a lot of hostile mobs around. Uh, yeah. Maybe a it's, skeleton it's a, here or there, but nothing. It's a little bit more of a complicated process to move yeah, hostile mobs because yeah. of I the mean, damage I've, factor. But. Yeah, I've watched enough people do it. Like, uh, I mean, really smart thing is to put a, a, a path of glass above your your track so that the head of the mob is always in a transparent block which does not suffocate them but also blocks their line of sight so that they can't see you yeah um, so they're not going to attack you and that's yeah, yeah. De definitely a smart move i think yeah and i've seen some really cool stuff where people have like a pane of glass which just shows up as a single spike that you can't see because it disappears inside the model of the mob and yeah they have that on a piston and if you release the piston then it raises the glass pane and then it allows the bad thing to see you and shoot you or do whatever Mm -hmm. um i i like the idea of having more mobs in minecraft i'm curious to see how all of this is going to change when you've got uh evokers and what are the other ones vindicators Vind vindicators that are showing up in the raids for villages yeah, because exactly. then that becomes as close as your closest village as opposed to wherever you're you know your um your woodland mansion happens to be so you could not have to transport you know a a evoker or um or any of the other mobs uh thousands and thousands of blocks it might only be 100 blocks it could be less than that in the nether depending on how close your village is yeah and uh, so that i find really interesting in terms of i'm more interested i think in the mobs than i am in in the actual woodland mansion yeah um, exactly i feel i feel like illages are a little bit overlooked and functionality like this is kind of what makes them really interesting to me and, and desirable in the first place it does kind of make it a shame that then you don't have the need to go out and explore and find the woodland mansion in the first place but 
I imagine because currently the illagers that spawn in a woodland mansion do not despawn and they don't respawn in there either. So basically, once you've generated a mansion, that is it. The population is already fixed. And, right. you know, you're the only one who can change that. You kill them, they are gone forever. You save them and take them elsewhere. There aren't, no, nobody else is going to spawn there. No more pillagers, or illagers rather, will actually end up spawning in there. So the pillager raids become an opportunity perhaps to have renewable vindicators and evokers and i don't know if the same functionality is going to apply to those i would assume not i imagine they despawn if you get far enough away or you know they're not going to continue spawning like that unless you activate another raid but it's it's going to be interesting to see a little bit more of them uh yeah. one other thing i wanted to touch on quickly there's a lesser known easter egg with evokers that i actually saw again cub fan <laughs> cub fan being the innovator that he is using in a, a recent hermitcraft video where if evokers encounter a blue sheep specifically a blue sheep they cast a spell and they dye the sheep red and it's the only mob that will ever interact with something to dye it a different color um and it's a, it's a direct reference to priests which are a, a unit in age of empires uh, the old kind of age of empires like real-time strategy games and they can convert enemy units to your side by like effectively like praying and kind of saying hey come over to our side and so that's the only thing they do that's just completely off the wall like normally they will just attack you they've got the fangs that come out of the floor they've they summon the vexes also if you bring them a blue sheep they'll turn it red i just found that kind of adorable in a way <laughs> it just kind of gives them this weird like character that you don't otherwise have with other stuff yeah i wish there was more stuff like that in the game like i, I wish that uh you could do some certain things with certain sheep you know dying at a certain color like similar to like if you rename i think it's any mob dinner bone it flips upside down is that the right yeah just yeah. little easter egg stuff like that and yeah, I, I, like I kind of it's not quite on the same level as mob sorting stuff where like creepers are afraid of cats and you know skeletons are afraid of wolves and that kind of thing it's it's more just like this is just silly it's just there for a bit of fun yeah yeah like turning a sheep red makes it aggressive like turns it into a hostile <laughs> mob you know where it tries to headbutt you to death like i don't know like just stuff like the cartoon brain in me just kind of goes crazy with with little yeah little yeah things like that so i uh, yeah i'm I mean, I'm I'm not certainly going to go out and and seek out a, a, a woodland mansion. I am more interested, I think, in what 1.14 changes are coming to those that we don't know about. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. because I just feel like there's an awful strong tie between outposts, woodland mansions because they look the same, uh, and and the raids. And I'm just wondering if there's stuff that's happening there in the background that are actually going to be changing, even if it's just the frequency of woodland mansions, like maybe they just need a, a dark oak forest of a certain size and they spawn, right? You know, like maybe it's not as, as rare as they used to be. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of hope that that is the case, because like I said, I feel like this whole aspect of the game has been a little bit overlooked. And for people who think that Minecraft doesn't pre pre present a huge challenge right now, I feel like raids and stuff are going to present a little bit of that as well. But try raiding a woodland mansion one of these days because I went in there with full protection diamond armor and I nearly got my butt handed to me. I, I, yeah. I was wearing a Lytra to, so I didn't have like the full chest plate on and everything. But Vexes hit really hard. Vindicator's the same. You get stuck in a corner in one of those things, you're toast. So yeah. I think it's it's worth a go. G give your give your local woodland mansion a call and see if they're they've got any vacancies. Yeah, chest plate makes a big difference. I've noticed <laughs> it really in, does in videos yeah. that I've watched, especially with the vexes. And that's and I think that's the other thing that I find um, I don't want to say tedious, but something unappealing about this kind of stuff is that I find like the tiny vex thing like that's the sort of PVE that I don't enjoy. Like it's it's a small fast moving thing that hits like a truck. It's like well, yeah, <laughs> I don't need, know. You need like twitch reflexes to get yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's so it's so. I realize that they've been part of the game for a while, but to me, it just feels distant from the kind of gameplay you normally get in Minecraft, right? Mm -hmm. Like where I think the fastest moving thing that i i still have trouble contending with is is the zombie the little baby zombies i find yeah, yeah. i i don't necessarily i would say it's only a 50 50 chance of me killing a baby zombie without getting hit myself i always win <laughs> but i feel like i feel like i i don't often get a clean getaway like i always take at least one poke right same with spiders mm -hmm. i can't get the timing on their attack right i they're harmless really at the end game but i never seem to be able to kill a spider without it at least touching me once they're always and, just jumping over the sword swing or something like yeah that. something and, like that i'm not or i mean it's also a server it could be lag i don't i don't know yeah and vexes are the worst for that as well because they'll fly through blocks that's the thing yeah. i had to contend with the most was like i was shooting at them but then the arrow would just hit the wall they'd just gone through and i was like ah no <laughs> yeah 
was a little bit difficult to handle, but uh, yeah, I, I, I still had a lot of fun raiding the mansion. I haven't done that for a while, and you know, it's it's a fun experience. It's also fun to get Totems of Undying, which again, is something I will never really use, and I feel like don't really have a lot of point. They're another thing that I think could maybe be revised a little bit more about the game, but mm -hmm. that's probably another story for another time. For now, I think, like your friendly neighborhood vindicator, I'm going to bring the axe down on this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find out more information about the show and links to some of the things we talked about today on thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. We get all of our support from our Patreon community, and if you get some value out of the show, consider putting some value back in by joining them. You can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join our community and pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat where we have a lot of really great discussions going on basically every single day. It'll get us closer to our next Patreon goals and we're currently at 47 patrons, which is up for last week. Thank you guys so much again for your support. It always means a lot. Johnny, I'm wondering if we are going to be able to hit 50 patrons before the end of January. Make it happen, folks. I'm feeling I positive you. about it. I think that's a great milestone yeah. to hit for the end of the month. And uh, I'd love to see it. And uh, I, you won't regret it. Uh, people are having a ton of fun in, in the Discord. And I really, again, have to tip my hat to the level of discourse in there. It's It's been really, really positive and fun. And uh, I really enjoy um, peeking, away, <laughs> peeking in. It's almost getting hard to keep up with, which is, is great to see. I'm not complaining at all. Uh, one of the best ways that you can actually support the show is free. Just tell friends about it. Uh, spread the show on social media. It is at the Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. But personal recommendations are by far the best, as we saw last week. Just recommending the show to a server mate or a friend that plays Minecraft goes a long way. And in person, you can actually poke people in the arm. Not too hard. Maybe not, you know, vindicator hard. But, you <laughs> don't, know. Don't just, even bruise. No, 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 no. But just the gentle. I mean, if it's your younger brother or sister, like, poke them. Just be like, look, you should, you should listen to this. Um, or older. I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to be ageist uh, you can contact the show at the at gmail.com you can subscribe on iTunes Android Stitcher and Spotify the RSS link is on the and the patron only RSS feed is on the patreon page and that is the only place that you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast my name is Pixel Riffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash pixelriffs, where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called the Minecraft Survival Guide. I'm also the voice for the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search, and I stream three days a week on Twitch, where this week I finished up Final Fantasy IX, started Final Fantasy X, having a lot of fun playing that series. Aside from that, I'm at pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything that I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. I am currently available for hire, so if you'd like to do some artwork with me, then let me know. You can listen to other podcasts I do. One is called The Citadel Cafe, where I talk about sci-fi and geeky entertainment. My friend Lou and I talked about Into the Spider-Verse and Titans, uh, the new Netflix uh, Teen Titans show. Uh, this past week comics coast to coast where i interview comic creators illu illustrators and animators with my friends brian and matt and everything on social media is just my name it's all joel duggan i'm going to point you towards twitch where i'm having a lot of fun playing minecraft and doing some art streams so check that out at twitch.tv slash joel duggan thanks for visiting the spawn chunks the world outside is infinite compost all the things <laughs> <laughs>